Thank you all so very much. You're too kind to just a young man who only a few hours ago was at his own service. And, and, and I got the call and, and I would love nothing more than to be here with you tonight. It's a great church. Great leaders in this church, not just the McCalls, although certainly them, but, but a great worship team. They do excellent, excellent, excellent. It's so good. I mean, you know, you kind of don't, you kind of take it for granted. And I'm a music guy. I, I'm, my degree is in music education. And, um, and you kind of take music for granted. It's kind of, you take music for granted the same way you take, you take the scripture guy and, and the media People, you kind of only notice it when it goes wrong, but um, but man, they do so good here, um, so good on the music, so so on point with the media, and and your pastor is just a scholar and a friend of mine, and he treats everybody like they're a somebody, which is to me says a lot that you know I can come in and he treats me like I'm David Bernard or, or somebody. I all know who's Jesus, I guess. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my scripture out of, well, a few places, but we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. Then we're going to jump to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9, and then Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Forgive me if you are not the sword drill champion. I apologize. It's so awesome to be in a church with everybody getting along like this. You know, you hear all kinds of stories about churches where people just kind of don't see eye to eye. Um, I heard one time about where a pastor kind of got into it with his, his worship leader. That's pretty bad, you know, if that happens. And, um, and so like the preacher one week, he got up and he preached on commitment and, um, and how we should dedicate ourselves to God and such. And, and then the song for the altar service was, I shall not be moved. And, um, and in the next Sunday, I mean, you wouldn't believe this, but he, he starts talking about giving and paying your tithes and, and giving an offering and, and coming to, to service to give. And, and the worship leader sung, Jesus paid it all. And... Um, well, all right. And then the next Sunday, um, you know, the pastor's like, you know, we don't, we don't need to gossip and we need to watch what we say and watch our tongue. And, and so altar call came and, and sure enough, they sang, I love to tell the story. Um, so at this point, the pastor's getting pretty frustrated as, as I imagine most of us would. I certainly would be. And, and so the next Sunday, he, he told his congregation that he's, he's considering maybe resigning and, and moving somewhere else and and the worship leader saying, oh, why not tonight? And, um, and finally, a few weeks passed, and, and the pastor said, you know, Jesus is the one that brought me to this church, and, and I feel like Jesus is leading me to, you know, to go somewhere else in my ministry. And the worship leader saying, what a friend we have in Jesus. I'm so glad that is not the case at Lake City. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, if we can stand together for the reading of the word. It says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. Sorry for these one verses, but jump to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. 
It says this, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them who obey him. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and and maybe we're a little more familiar with this one. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience that, that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the next few moments tonight, I want to preach to you from this title, It's Time That The Author Became My Author. I want to pose this statement to you tonight, that it is one thing for God to know your name. And it's another thing entirely for him to write your story. And um, if we can be seated tonight, we'll launch from there. I'm not ashamed to tell you tonight that I love to read. That was not always the case for me. You You have people that grow up and immediately when they are taught to read, they love it. I was the opposite. When I was taught to read, I thought, well... I could go outside, or I could do a lot of other things that I would enjoy more. I liked being read too, but I didn't necessarily like to read myself. But as I've gotten older, I've become a complete nerd about books. I love books. I love to read. I love stories. The way that some authors have with words is absolutely amazing and astounding to me. They paint pictures with words that would make, would make Picasso jealous, would make Da Vinci jealous of their literary talent. You can pick up a story by an author like Louis L'Amour and you'll be instantly drawn into a tale of the American West. There's something so very special about a talented author. Everything in our lives seemingly stops for a moment as we are engulfed in the story that flowed from their pens. And for those few moments, we turn our attention to the story that the author has written and nothing else in our life seems to matter. We're not thinking of life's problems. We're not concerned with with all the circumstances and all all the stuff that, that gets in our life each and every day. A good author knows how to draw you in. They know that a great story is, is must be characterized by peaks and valleys. It must have highs and lows. It must have a climb. It must have a fall. A, a great story has to have a lot of things, but perhaps the most important part of a great story is that a great story needs a good ending. Now some people might disagree with me tonight, but hear me out. It is of the utmost importance for a great story to have a good ending. I remember still as as a child who could barely read it all, and and to be fair, I wasn't really reading these books. They were getting read to me at school. But I can remember hearing the stories where the red fern grows and old yeller. And I take issue with those authors 
because that is not okay. Because as soon as the stories took a turn for the worst, young, naive Clinton Curtis knew that those dogs just had to pull through. Even in old... You're going to like this, maybe. We were reading Old Yeller in class, and, and you understand, if I ruin this story for you, I'm sorry. But, but at the end, where he has to, he has to shoot his, his dog, even knowing that he had just shot his dog, we go to recess after we hear about that. And I remember on the playground talking to my best friend and us deciding that there was some way that dog was coming back to life. I was disappointed. The mind of a child just couldn't comprehend why any author would write a story just to kill a beloved animal. Don't color me in with PETA. I'm just saying that, that it's heart-wrenching. And I don't, I don't want to read that. There's just something wrong with that. You get to the end of those books and you're like, No, that's not how it ends. Some pages have to be missing or, or something, something. There's got to be a mistake at the printing press. Those stories should never have been published. I mean, I just don't... I'm not interested in stories with a bad ending. And I understand, I, I get it, I understand that some people say that those stories are more realistic and those are more true to life. And I always reply that if I wanted to read something that was true to life and left me a little bit depressed, I could just get a newspaper and have at it. But if I'm reading a book, if I'm reading a story that's made up, I want it to end good. Now... I used to make fun of people that did this. You might know where this is going. But I will not apologize for, at times, in my old age of 24 years old, sometimes when I'm reading a story, heaven forgive me, flipping to the end to make sure it turns out okay. If... If I don't think there's tragedy around the corner, I'm not going to do it. But if it gets to a point in the story and I'm like, all these people and all these beloved characters just aren't going to make it or something tragic's going to happen, I need to know because my life is busy and I'm not trying to finish that story. I want a good ending. If the author cannot take care of their own characters that they made up, why should I be bothered? Way thinking that they could take care of my needs as a reader of their story. And the church said, Amen. There is not, there's nothing in this world quite like a great story written by a great author. It, it pains me a little bit, and this isn't, this isn't really religious, but to see generations of people who are coming along to profess to hate reading. You can take it however you want, but if you say that you hate books, and at one point in my life I would have probably told you that, I just want to let you know that, that God, God loves books. He wrote 66 of them. He wrote, in fact, the greatest story ever written. It turns out that God is an author. 
Come to think of it, he is the original author. In the beginning was the Word. He's not just the original author, but he is the best author. He's second to none. He penned the greatest story that has ever been written. Do you know that there are thousands and thousands of stories that have been written that have alluded to the Bible? Whether intentional or not, authors know that they cannot write a better story than the one that's contained within these few pages. A better one than the original author wrote. The first words go like this. You probably know them. In the beginning, God... You know that you've got to be somebody when you make yourself the main character in your own story. This author wrote an autobiography that is more thrilling and more compelling than any fiction novel than you could ever read. He is a great author. Have you read or have you heard the story that he wrote for David where he helped a small farm boy defeat a giant named Goliath? We still use the phrase David versus Goliath today in reference to something seemingly small contending with something seemingly much bigger. It's a great story, the one that he wrote for David What about Elijah? Have you heard the story that he wrote for him where he on Mount Carmel faced off against the 450 prophets of Baal to see whose God was real and whose God was not? And that story ends with God answering by fire and consuming the sacrifice, water and all. And then God ended a drought. It's an incredible story that he wrote. For Elijah. I like how a songwriter once told the story that God wrote for Abraham. He said it like this. He said, Abraham had a son. Isaac was the only one. He took him to a mountain high. And the boy was getting ready to die. Abraham said no word, but a voice from heaven he heard. Abraham, Abraham, do you see that ram? What a great story that God wrote. For Abraham, I wouldn't have wrote it like that, to be honest. I, I, I am an author in, in name only, but I am not by any stretch a great author. And stories that I read in the Bible, I would have never thought to put it like that. I would have never thought to bring the characters through such things to, so they could fulfill what God had for them later. He wrote a great story for Abraham. He can work it out. The author can work it out. Have you heard the story that he wrote for Job? That's a story that I probably wouldn't have written the same way it appears. But but he, he wrote this story for Job. Job had it all. He had all the money. He had family. He had everything he could possibly want. Job was living right. And in, in, in the devil kind of gets to thinking that he can maybe do something and God lets him. And one thing leads to another and Job loses it all. But my favorite part, y'all, you, you got to understand this about me, is I really like good stories with good endings. And so does God, it turns out, because God does not leave Job where the devil took him. 
But he didn't, he didn't just restore him. It would, have been a, it would have been a decent story if Job would have just regained what he had lost. But, but God gives him better things than he had before. He gives him more stuff. He gives him a better family. He gives, he gives him what he needs. What a story that God wrote for Job. I wish you'd look at somebody tonight and say, He is a great author. He is matchless. Nobody writes a better story than God. Nobody ever dreamed up a better plot for this world. Please tell me that you've heard the story that the author wrote about Calvary where his people fell into sin and so he robed himself in flesh came down from heaven humbled himself was born of a virgin in a stable he lived a perfect sinless life and yet was beaten and bruised and afflicted for our sins he was crucified nailed to the cross and he was put in the grave and that alone would be a powerful story But it would be an awful, sad story. And God just doesn't believe in writing sad stories. So just three days later, he rose again from the grave with the keys to death and hell, the head of the church triumphant. The enemy had been defeated and death could not hold him down. I dare somebody to try to write a better story than that. Find a story that brings more hope. Find a story that offers more peace. Find an author that is any better than the one who authored the story of Calvary and the story of this world. Yet as great as He is, as great as He is, and as great as the stories that He writes are, they do not mean a whole lot until we allow the author to become our author. His story will never be significant in our lives. It will never be more than a story until we allow Him to write our own. And He will not write our story unless we let Him do so. The Bible says simply that He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He only acts as our author when we are walking by faith and not by sight. And if we want to try to walk by sight, and if we want to try to write our own story, that's the thing about God is He will let us. We hear it in music. In music, we, we, we can hear the, the artists tell stories in their songs, particularly in country music. And more often than not, the stories are about people that tried to author their own lives. We can sing about looking at the bottom of an empty bottle and they can sing about the pain of lost love and broken marriages. They can sing about not knowing how to go on day by day and they can sing about engaging in all different kinds of debauchery and immorality. How many times have people that we know tried to write their own story? How many times have we tried to write our own story. How many times have we taken our lives out of the hands of the author? 
But can I tell you tonight that when people allow, when we allow the author to write our story, we can't help but sing quite a different song than the ones that we would hear in the secular world. Because when the author becomes their author, we can't help but tell others the story that God wrote for us. Somebody sang the song that God wrote for them like this. They said, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It was not somebody else's story, but it was the one that God wrote for them. Somebody else sang it like this. He said, living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. And one day he's coming back. Oh, glorious day. It wasn't a story that was written for somebody else, at least to them. That story was what God had written specifically for their life. Brother G.T. Haywood said it in one of my favorite ways. He said, I see a crimson stream of blood. It flows from Calvary. Its waves which reach the throne of God are sweeping over me. It's a personal song. Somebody said it like this. My grandfather quotes it all the time. He says, down from his glory, ever living story, my God and my Savior came. My author came and Jesus was his name. We have had amazing authors and songwriters that have walked the face of this planet. But more than anything else, I just want to be a part of the story that God is writing. I want the author to be my author. I don't just want to read the stories that he's written for others. And I don't want to just open this book and read what he brought other people through. And I don't want to just read this book and see how he saved other people and how he provided for them. But I want this author to be my author. I don't just need him to be the author of my church life. I need him to be the author of every part of my life. I need God to author my actions. I need God to be the author of my finances. I need God to be the author of my career. I need God to be the author of my ambitions. I need God to be the author of my dreams and my friendships and the relationships that I pursue. God must be my Author. It is not enough that he is the author, but he must become mine. And if the story that he writes for me involves me turning my back on a few things or a few people, I've got to have faith to do it. There are some times when God is writing the story of our lives. And in God's story, certain characters are not there anymore. And certain people no longer have a voice in our life. And we have to have the strength to say, Yes, Lord, and cut some characters.
Do we really trust Him enough to allow Him to write the story of every part of our life? The author must become my author. I must allow Him to be the author of my salvation. Did you allow Him to be the author of your baptism? You know how He was or not, right? Did He put His name on it? That's what authors do, after all. You know the things that the author wrote by his name being on the front. Was his name called over your baptism? Did you allow the author to write your salvation? If we look around in our lives, and I look around in my life, and find a lot of things that don't have his name on them, maybe that's a time for me to start changing some things. Maybe that's time for me to realize that that perhaps he has not been the author for me that he needs to. I love that verse that we read. It says, God is not the author of confusion. There's a lot of people that would say that all all this church stuff is rather confusing. There's a lot of people that would say that that you just normal folk can't understand what the Bible says and that, that you should leave the reading of the Bible to, to the ministry and, and to other people. And that God's not the author of confusion. That is so very powerful to me as a 24-year-old young man that I can open the book and God doesn't have to make it confusing. In fact, He doesn't even try to make it confusing. When we talk about the Godhead, He simply said, In Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It doesn't have to be confusing. That's not how He wrote it. People will try to write a whole lot of different stories about what the Bible says, but... The story that God wrote really isn't confusing. His story says there's one Lord and one faith and one baptism. His story says there's one God and Jesus is His name. He didn't write a confusing story. In fact, He shot it to me plain so even a guy from Truman, Arkansas could understand it. He wrote a great story. And the author is simply saying that the story that he wrote is simple. It's all about him. From Genesis to Revelation, every single word is about him. And everything we do is for him. In him we live and we move and we have our being. Whatsoever we do, we're to do in the name of Jesus. And so I want to check to see tonight if I'm letting God write my story. And all I've got to do is look around and see if I'm pursuing stuff that he wouldn't put his name on or that he didn't put his name on and it's time for me to make the author my author but the most the thing that I love the most about him and I've said it already tonight but he doesn't write sad stories just about any author you find in, the, in their whole career, if you look it over, will write at least one sad story. But God doesn't 
Sure, there are godly people, there are Christian people that go through some bad stuff, but every single story that we allow Him to finish will end with heaven. Suppose my, my life takes a sharp turn for the worse and I end up homeless and disease-stricken with nothing to eat. But as long as I let God write my story and continue to live and walk by faith, I know the sure ending that God has penned. I can flip to the back of the book and know that I am in good hands with the author. God wrote a great story for Lazarus who had nothing. Sat at the gate of a rich man. Absolutely cast out by society. He was hated. But the end of Lazarus' story is a story that I would like to have. When we look back across the pages of our lives, one day, and and maybe you can do it now, but you're going to see joy and you're going to see pain. You're going to see triumph and you're going to see sorrow. You're going to see mountaintops and you're going to see valleys. But what you're going to see is that God wrote you a better story than you could have ever written for yourself. I look back across my life, and I've not, I'm not very old. I'm 24. But I've, I've had the story of being robbed at gunpoint. And I've had the story of being involved in a car wreck. And I've had the story of all my, well not all, but but most of my finances is ASU falling through to no fault of my own. I've had the story of being hurt by church people. I've had the story of a lot of different valleys. But a songwriter that had a story probably a lot like mine, maybe a lot worse, sang a song one time, and he said, I've had some good days, and I've had some hills to climb. I've had some weary days, and I've had some sleepless nights. But when I look around and I think things over, all of my good days outweigh the bad days, and I can't complain. Sometimes the clouds hang low and I can hardly see the road. And I ask the question, Lord, why so much pain? But He knows what's best for me. Although my weary eyes, they can't see. And I'll just say, thank you, Lord. I can't complain. Someday, we're going to, and musicians can come, someday... We're going to look across this story of our lives if we leave it in the hands of the author. And we're going to see the mountaintops and we're going to see the valleys. And we're going to look at somebody much younger than us and we're going to say these words. I'm so glad you're in church with us today. And if you stick with this, God's going to write you the best story that you could ever 
imagine. I can talk to my grandfather that has been in this longer than I've been alive. And there's not many times where I talk to him or my grandmother that they don't say, you know, Clinton, this is the best life that you could ever live. He said, my grandfather has even said this, and he says, you know, even if, even if heaven was not real, it's worth it. Even if, even if the promise of heaven never came true, it's worth it. Because God writes you a better story than you could have lived. It's not about, I wish I would lose this mindset. I wish the church would lose this mindset that we deny ourselves so much in this life and we miss out in this life so that we can gain in the next. And surely we believe that we're going to gain in the next life. But we ought not to believe that we're missing out. When I read the, the story about the people in this book, I don't think they're missing out. When I read about what God did through Elijah, and when I read what he did through David, and when I read what he did through Peter and Paul and them, yeah, yeah, it's got some valleys and it's got some struggles and it's got some heartaches. But oh, what a good story it is. And I would hate for anybody here tonight to get to be down the road in their age and look back across your life and say, Oh, I just wish sometime before now I would have turned the pen over to the one that writes the greatest stories that this world has ever seen and read and just let him have his way. It is a dangerous prayer to tell God to have His way in your life. It's much easier in some ways to pray that God will fix things. It's much easier to pray that He'll take, take the pain and take the, the situation out. But perhaps, I don't know, and I'm going to... Don't misunderstand me. I'm going to pray for sickness. I believe that God wants people to be healed. I'm going to pray that God's going to bring us out of stuff. I believe that. But if he doesn't, I'm going to trust that the author knows what he's doing. And like with Job, and like with David, and like with everybody else, when I look back at the end of the story, I'm going to say, oh my word, look what God has done. If we can stand together tonight.